0: So, phenomenology in that sense is, uh, I would call it as bookkeeping, truthful bookkeeping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is, making you say exactly the correct state of affairs.
1: This is Anubhava, a podcast for art, science and philosophy, exploring our relationship to experiences between the mind, body and environment. Anubhava is a Sanskrit word translated to experience that is vital to examine the everydayness of things in themselves. This word has the potential to bridge huge gaps in continental and eastern phenomenology in our conscious understanding of knowledge emerging from embodied cognition. I am Shashank Satish, the principal investigator of the XPC or Experiential Cognition Lab currently based out of Bangalore, practicing at the limits, horizons and possibilities of accounting for plural everyday experiences in art science and consciousness research. You are listening to the second episode of Anubhava, first of two episodes with Dr. Sundar Sarukai, where we unpack and trace the philosophical roots of experience and its role in art, science, and society. Sundar Sarukai is the founder of the Barefoot Philosophers, an initiative to bring philosophy to the public. He was a professor at the National Institute of Advanced Studies in Bangalore till 2019 and was the founder-director of the Manipal Center for Philosophy and Humanities, Manipal University. He is presently a visiting faculty at the Center for Society and Policy, Indian Institute of Science, Bangalore. Dr. Sundar is the author of the following books. Translating the World Science and Language Philosophy of Symmetry Indian Philosophy and Philosophy of Science What is Science? Philosophy for Children and two books co-authored with Gopal Guru, The Crack Mirror, An Indian Debate on Experience and Theory, and Experience, Caste and the Everyday Social. He is also the co-chief editor of the Springer Handbook of Logical Thought in India, the series editor for the Science and Technology Studies series Routledge, and the editorial advisory member of Leonardo magazine. In this episode, we try to investigate the ontology of the term experience through examples ranging from ancient Indian treatises on performing arts like the Natya Shastra to Western phenomenology otherwise known as the philosophy of experience. Join us in this discerning conversation on Anubhava and its inseparable relationship to our everyday lives in an exemplary context as. Sundar and I converse over dulled ambient neighborhood noises of vegetable sellers, squirrels and airplanes from across the yellow table at his residence in Bangalore. Hello Sundar, it's nice to have you on the XPC Lab podcast, Anubhava. Welcome to the show and uh, happy to have you here. Thank you, Uh, Zasha. Pleasure to be here. Today we will look at... um, the idea of experience and what it means to us and in our everyday lives. I know that you have worked with this idea for quite some time and also written books uh, on it uh, in in various aspects and notions of experience. So uh, what to you fundamentally is experience and uh, how would you go about explaining it uh, Mm -hmm. from your perspective?
0: Okay, so, um, you know, one way we could enter into this topic is to just explore what this idea of experience is and why would we want to talk about a category of experience. Now, um, so I want to start at the very basic level, right? So trying to find the motivation for the invo- invoking a category called experience. And why would we do that? Because you know, people have said a lot about this idea of experience, it's related to very difficult concepts in philosophy and the sciences and the arts, in very many different concepts, including concepts of uh, you know the mind, the sensory organs, the meaning of sensations, and questions of consciousness and so on. So around the concept of experience, you have a very large number of very complex ideas and concepts. But if you want to unpack those concepts, such as what is consciousness and is there a relationship between consciousness and experience, etc., I find from my own experience and my inclination that it is useful to start with our most basic understanding of experience. Mm -hmm. Because if there is one thing which characterizes all of us as individuals, as human beings, and perhaps as living beings in general, whatever that could mean, it is that we all have experience. And experience uh, becomes a way by which we engage with the world, we engage with ourselves. And here, the starting point of experience is very simple. It begins with the fact that we have certain sensory organs and that we are not black boxes in any general sense. We are actually uh, beings, if you like, without Mm. adding any, uh, you know, crazy philosophical ideas behind it, but just as I mean as objects or anything which is present, mm. which are not completely a black box. They all have window of interaction with the world. And that's a very important definition of what living is, by the way. Mm. That there is an engagement, a constant interplay between the organism and the environment around the organism. Mm. Mm. Like it happens with cells, that like happens with human beings and so on. And that window to the world, those windows to the world are nothing but our sensory organs. So I may exist in the world, but the fact that I am able to have a particular experience called experience of seeing the world is mediated through my senses such as the eyes, which corresponds you know, to this activity of seeing. But the eyes by themselves do not complete the sense. Of vision. We need various other things to, you know, the whole visual apparatus has to work together in order for us to be able to see. So, if you look at the five major uh, windows, senses as we call it, all of these become windows into our engagement with the world. Mm. And any notion of experience for me, therefore, comes from this idea that it is actually an interaction. It is actually an exchange mm. of some kind or the other, and that's a very important, um, you know, thing. It has very deep implications for a variety of things. A lot of uh, philosophical thinking about it, whether in, whether in we want to call them as you know, disciplines such as phenomenology, etc., are responding to some of these basic questions that arises from the fact that I am a box. With windows to the world, which gives me an interaction with the world by which certain things happen, certain exchanges happen. So um, that still does not constitute experience. That still does not constitute the uniqueness of experience. What it tells you is that there is this kind of an interaction, which very which is very important for you know living beings like us. Because, for example, one could say. You could build a computer or you could build a camera which does a very similar job. So building something equivalent to having an eye like in a camera is not very difficult. We know how well you could do that. Mm. And you could also say that the camera uh, sees, if you like, sees the room the same way my eyes see the room. And that's something we take for granted. But what might differ between the case of my seeing the room and the camera seeing the room is that I will have an experience. So phenomenology, in that sense is uh, I would call that as bookkeeping, truthful bookkeeping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that is, making you say exactly the correct state of affairs.
1: the fact is. Of-
0: the facticity as experience, that is, mm. their point is very simple, that for you to jump from the statement, mm. the table is yellow for me, to the statement, the table is yellow, mm. needs something else. That's a different process. Mm. And you need to justify that to me. Mm. You have not justified it to me, because I know the table is yellow for me. But... I don't talk about it every Every sentence I say should be for me, for me, for me. <laughs> yeah. So you take the shortcut and drop that for me
1: right.
0: and then say the table is yellow. But what you have done is not just a language shortcut, getting rid of two words. What you have done is something much worse. You have taken an experience of yours and transferred it into a quality of the world. Mm. Why would that be a problem? Why can't we say, well, obviously if the apple is sweet for me, the apple must be sweet. No, otherwise why is it sweet for me? Mm. Right. If the table is not yellow, why would it be yellow for me? So that's the underlying assumption. Mm. But once you accept this underlying assumption at it, you can see how it breaks down. This assumption is completely wrong. Because... The table can be yellow for me for various reasons. The table can be yellow for me because I may have a jaundiced eye. (laughs) The table can be yellow for me because I'm sitting in a room with a yellow light. The camera does not have an experience of seeing, but yet it duplicates everything that there is to be uh, in the act of seeing. It in fact sees the room probably much better than my eyes can. Mm. You know, it can see things in the room much better, much more clarity and whatever. I can do many things with the camera to be able to do that. But yet, what the camera may not be able to do is to have the experience of seeing. Now, why then do I invoke this thing? How, First of all, how do I know that? And secondly, what does it mean to say that other than just the sensory engagement between me and the world, that there is something extra added to it called experience. Mm-hmm. And that's why the question of consciousness arises as a way to distinguish us from, um, you know, the, for, from making us recognize that perception, which could include seeing, listening, whatever, all tasting, etc., uh, touching, and so on, have a functional aspect to it, which could be duplicated in by other, not just by machines, but remember historically the problem also comes in between animals and humans, in Mm. attempting to find distinction between animals and humans, because animals are so much like humans, they have all the sense organs like humans too, and yet if you wanted an ideology which wanted to distinguish or make uh, human beings superior to animals, you want to invoke certain categories, and Mm. that's why one always has to be suspicious of lot of philosophy too, mm. you know, including the Descartes um, you know, project. One of the basic arguments about perception then arises as follows, that when I see, let's say I'm seeing a, a table in front of me and it's yellow in color, there is a there is a particular kind of description of the process of seeing, you know, if I want to start in the most basic sense, I open my eyes and I see a table, and I recognize, I see a color, okay, and I recognize that the color is yellow, etc. So I have a series of uh, inputs into me, but from those inputs, I am able to say something about the world which I am seeing, but I am also able to say something about what is happening to me
1: Mm -hmm. as I am
0: seeing it. So this is a very crucial point. Where the question of experience becomes... My experience, the, the subjective experience. So, yeah, before I jump into these words like subject, so I want to see where, why these questions come, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, that is, when I'm looking at this table and I see the color of this table, and, and therefore from which I can say, so that experience of seeing the table and knowing the color gives me a relationship with knowledge from that experience. Mm. So I taste an apple, it is sweet, I can then, I know that the apple is sweet. So I can make some kind of a, the question of knowledge versus experience, that whole debate. But what I'm saying here is not about the knowledge and stuff. What I'm trying to say is, that while I am seeing the table, okay, and I'm recognizing the color of the table, I also recognize an internal state in me, I also recognize something happening within me in looking at an object outside me. So I'm looking at an object outside me. I recognize, I get knowledge about the object. That's fine. But the act of seeing the world or tasting an apple is also correlated or is accompanied by something which is happening within me. My recognition of something happening within me. That is, I may taste the apple as being sweet, but I feel the sensation of the sweetness in my tongue. Mm. You know, so the bodily sensation, so the The transference of it into something which the body experiences. So experience here therefore is invoked as a term where something happens to that object which is interacting with the world. Other than uh, due to the inputs from the world like the color of a table etc. That it causes something to happen in my body. Mm. That causation. So that's why one of the, I think one of the best ways of understanding this question and, and that's why, you know, I think uh, philosophy which has to begin from this level, um, trying to make sense of what we are saying. In that sense, the Natyashastra Shastra does this so well because when they are talking about the experiences caused or the experiences which arises in artistic um, you know, artistic engagements or interaction with an art—just to use my term of the senses interacting with the world. So when I'm looking at a drama, for example, or listening to music, um, there are definitely there are things happening. I can see somebody's acting, somebody's dancing, etc. But there are also things which are caused in me, mm-hmm. right? And that thing which is caused in me that where I become as a very important um, you know something that happens to me becomes very important in my engagement with the world in my interaction with the world that is a domain of experience and that's an extremely interesting category to consider because let's assume the camera doesn't have that domain mm. so the camera is able to see exactly what I'm seeing right now sitting on the chair but it does not seem to have, the, or let me put it another way there does not seem to be anything within the camera which is caused by the color and the objects in the room. Hmm. Whereas, let's say I see an object in the room, it causes something in me, and I have notions of particular experiences associated with my vision. And there are many different types of causes and that's why the Natashastra chapter on rasa is so interesting to read because it lists the different type of causes. What kind of things can cause what kind of stuff and what are very essential causes and what are, uh, you know, not that important auxiliary causes. Mm -hmm. But it gives you already an idea why the question of experience is so important. And it is not just a category which I want to postulate by saying humans have experience. No. It is a, a particular uh, kind of a process which seems to happen in in this interaction, in which the internal state of the object gets modified by its engagement with the other. That's, if you like, one of the very important ways by which we begin to acknowledge, ask the question: Why do we even need the category of experience? Hmm. Because remember, if somebody tells you. I know experience because humans have a sensory apparatus it doesn't help us at all mm. because you could have duplicate the apparatus in 100 ways particularly with AI and computers today True. you don't need there's nothing which will differentiate you from them and one of the ways which they tried to then uh, capture this uniqueness is this idea of consciousness which is a way in another way a way of talking about this feeling mm. of or in other words, the internal sensations provoked or caused by catalyzed by my engagement through the senses. So I not only see the table, the yellow table, I have a sense of feeling a quality of this table, feeling the color of this table. Or when I eat something cold, it's not just that I know that it is cold. But there's a sensation of the coldness of eating that piece of ice. And therefore you then invoke other categories like qualia, etc. Or the first person experience, mm. uh, you know, the experience which you have, etc. But uh, I still think, you know, we need to do some work to understand why I need to invoke a, any of these terms. Can I talk about my experience without invoking this thing called consciousness? Because whenever mm. I invoke a term, I'm adding more and more qualities to it so I may be confusing it rather than clarifying it by saying oh there is something called consciousness so well that's a different topic altogether but I think the the, the, the most important point so you can see how for example the Nantashastra raises very important questions about this but in the same uh, on the same um, plane if you really go back and just look at the question of experience itself as a fundamental category of analysis you can see why certain philosophical traditions can uh, begin only with experience and end with experience. Mm. And there's a very important argument about this, mm. which is what eventually is very often um, related with this tradition of phenomenology, mm. um, whether in the Western or Eastern traditions. So let me try and uh, try and understand why one would even, you know, what kind of questions would such an approach ask and what is the basic why are they doing what they are trying to do so if I want to understand that whole question not what phenomenologists are saying but why does this become an important topic for them then I begin with um, this very important observation that there is something which is uh, there is obviously a deep relationship between my experience that is both my engagement with the world through my sensory uh, along with the kinds of internal um, you know feelings and emotions whatever else that there that is connected to the internal state of the human being now uh what seems to be very important and very paradoxical is the fact that any idea of knowing And this is a very old philosophical debate between empiricism and rationalism, Mm. which is that any way of knowing about the world, in my interacting with my environment, I come to know about the environment. Because I see the table is yellow, I see, I know it is yellow in color. Because it's hard, apple is sweet when I taste it, I know the apple is sweet, etc. So all knowledge seems to come from my engagement with it. But since my engagement with it is accompanied or it has as an integral element this experience of it, mm. then the natural question which arises is that all the, the world arises, the picture of the world, my understanding of the world arises only through my engagement with the world. Okay, but through this engagement with the world, how do I know that I have not transformed the world?
1: Why is that distinction important? What what do you mean by transform the world? Okay,
0: because the reason is this, suppose I am looking at the table and say it's yellow in color and then I am saying that the table is yellow in color, I am not saying I am seeing the table as being yellow in Mm colour. So what we have done in our use of language, definitely in our use of language and in the practice of the use of that language, Mm -hmm. what we have done is to convert our experience of what I am doing. That is take a quality which is within me Mm -hmm. and place it as a quality of the world. Mm. so I see the table is yellow so if I am going to be a true empiricist mm. a person who can only speak the truth about their empirical engagement then I will say I see that the table is yellow but I don't do that I drop out the I see that mm. and say the table is yellow or I should actually be saying the table is yellow for me Hmm. That is all I can say. You know, there is nothing which guarantees just from my experience that the world is exactly like I experience it. That is, we have a naive understanding that my experience of the world matches the reality of the world. And phenomenology is not just about questioning that. The phenomenological tradition is asking you to find grounds for this belief. It can either try and support it or it can try and make you understand, make you focus on the question of experience more
1: carefully. From the first person point of view.
0: From whatever you call as the experience point of view, that whatever is happening to you internally. Mm-hmm. So the, we want to call it first person, etc. The, the point about the first person comes because of the inaccessibility to another person. What is happening mm-hmm. to you? Mm-hmm. So if I am feeling a sweetness, I can describe the sweetness to you, but you don't have the feeling of sweetness that I have. So they make a big deal about this. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know, that's true for every internal state of any object. Definitely... A computer is not feeling the same current flowing in another computer, even the same circuit, etc. Right. Okay. Okay, and you don't have to invoke some question of first person for this PC and the next PC next to it. Both the PCs are having the same current flowing through because let's assume they have all the same, you know, whatever electronic stuff. And then this computer is not going to say, "Oh, I have a, you know, my feeling of my com- this current going through my circuit is not what you are having." Hmm. you know so you can imagine why people would sort of you know people who are very critical of this kind of very quick movement into first person consciousness etc might have these kind of questions so you know our point here is try to give you a kind of a, a justification or way of thinking about why these categories come into rise and why any philosopher or anybody else scientist or philosopher raises the questions that they do because here the basic question is, my experience is the foundation for knowledge, but the fundamental question is, how do I know that my engagement with the world has not changed the world? If you like, you know, it is really nothing more than the uncertainty principle which comes in quantum mechanics much later on. Mm. Okay, it's a very similar principle. And perhaps it's not too much of an accident, and I don't know if there is any historical connection here, I'm just guessing, mm. or at least I'm just making a very poetic jump, that you have quantum theory and uncertainty principle, where the engagement between the observed and the observer becomes so central mm. to the descriptions in science. And at the same time, around the same time, you also have Husserl and the phenomenology movement um, developing in the same part of the world. Mm. You know, and that's really the question because phenomenology is an attempt, and there are you know, and there is nothing called as one phenomenological school. Um, everybody seems to have different takes on it. Uh, whether it's um, you know, you have Merleau-Ponty, you have Husserl, you have Heidegger, and anybody, Karl Haspers and others. So each of them seem to have done something else with it. But I think um, the larger Husserlian question is still very relevant, which is that. If I am going to be able to, uh, so let me put it this way, that all that you have are experiences. And that's why experience is a fundamental category. Anything you can say about the world has to be discovered from these experiences. Mm. In other words, I, I have the experience of eating the, the apple being sweet. Now, any knowledge about the apple I can give you have to be extracted from this experience. So all I am given are the experiences. How you extract from it is what is going to be called as science or art or whatever else you want to do.
1: This podcast is an attempt to bridge transdisciplinary bridges exploring the nuances and roles of experience in the first, second and third person perspectives. To find out more, Subscribe to the XPC Lab podcast Anubhava. You can listen to new episodes here at XPC Lab online on Anchor, Spotify, SoundCloud, among other platforms. You can find links to all of this and more in the podcast description. This show is produced by Holy Cow Studio. Visit holycowstudio.in slash home slash XPC dash LAB for more information. We are on Instagram at xpc.laboratory. Thanks for listening. I am Shashank Satish for the Experiential Cognition Lab and I will be back next time for another episode with Sundar Sarukai to unpack the philosophical roots of experience and its role in art, science and society True Anubhava. Namaste.